Hello and welcome to the CGF podcast. My name is Louise Chester. I work in the communications team at the Consumer Goods Forum and this is the latest episode in our third season of the podcast where we delve behind the scenes of our work and we share our thoughts about the challenges facing our industry, the planet and its people. The Consumer Goods Forum is a CEO-led organization that helps the world's retailers and consumer goods manufacturers to collaborate alongside other key stakeholders to secure consumer trust and drive positive change. Today I'm joined on the podcast by Marcus Strip from Spoon Guru, Georgie Altman from Google, and Emma Burton from PricewaterhouseCoopers. Their respective companies have recently come together to publish a joint report called An Appetite for Opportunity, which looks at how people's dietary habits and goals are shifting, especially in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. So thank you so much to the three of you for joining me today. It's lovely to take the time to, to chat about this new report. Hi Louise, looking forward to it. Hi, Louise. Hi. So you've recently published a report on changing dietary habits and consumer goals. Could you tell me a bit more about how this collaboration between your organizations came about and perhaps how you went about gathering the data? Were there any big uh, trends that you uncovered? Sure, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so this um, collaboration started back in 2019 between Google, Spoon Guru and PwC. Um, we kind of started talking about what we could do um, to really raise awareness around changing behaviours towards food. Um, and we spent quite a bit of time just discussing what we were seeing in the market from all of our three angles. And one of the big things that came out was just this push towards consumers acting a bit more responsibly, whether that's due to their health or due to um, the environment um, or for mental health reasons, we'd started to see some trends emerging there. Um, and we explored um, some of the publicly available data that Google has, um, which looked at um, and looked at how that was kind of consumers' behaviours were evolving. Um, and from that, we were like, look, we'd really like to understand more around the why and really understand consumers' kind of perspectives on why they um, their diets were changing. Um, and so we ran two um, surveys of 2,000 UK um, consumers, um, once in December 2019. Um, and originally, we were due to publish the report back in uh, March 2020. And due to the pandemic, we decided to kind of hold off and then rerun the research in October 2020 to really start to unpick some of the trends that were emerging um, and were potentially being accelerated by the pandemic. Um, there was a number of kind of big trends that started to come off the back of it. There was um, a large kind of piece of um, data that we uncovered around uh, rationale for changing diets. Um, we also had the data cut by different demographics, and obviously we saw some quite interesting differences between Gen Z, but then also different locations within the UK. Um, and we also explored within it the shift towards online as well as um, shopping more locally. Um, and off the back of that, we obviously generated some kind of key insights as to um, what retailers or consumer goods companies could do. 
Thank you, Emma. Okay, that's really interesting to know that you were already planning on pulling together the report and then COVID hit and the the report sort of took on a new uh, took a new direction. So I wanted to dive into a few of these topics that are so, so interesting. The report brings to light the fact that COVID and the pandemic has really heightened people's consciousness about dietary health, and that's both physical and mental. Could you tell me a bit more about that specifically? Sure, why don't I kick off and then Georgie, Marcus, obviously you guys jump in. Um, so, I mean, I don't think it's anything new that consumers are changing their diets to be healthier um, or to lose weight. We found that, um, I think pre-COVID, uh, no, I mean post-COVID, sorry, 41% of consumers were changing their diets to lose weight, 34% to feel healthier. Um, and that kind of was consistent with the pre-COVID data being the kind of number one reasons for changing their diet. I think the more interesting part was when you started to unpick um, topics such as mental health um, and changing your diet for kind of sustainability reasons. We found that during October 2020, um, 16% of consumers have made a change to their diet for mental health reasons. 22% of those were um, within the 18 to 34 category. Um, and on the sustainability front, um, there was a continued kind of focus in that space, again, largely driven by that Gen Z category. Thank you, Emma. Marcus, Georgie, would either of you like to jump in? Yeah, so, um, so it's really interesting from our perspective because obviously we as Google sit on kind of a, a mass of data that gives us an insight from a slightly different perspective uh, into all sorts of um, various themes and categories um, and in this instance obviously into diets and um, what might be fueling uh, some of those shifts that Emma was describing there um, and I think we'll touch on this at a later point so I won't get on into lots and lots of detail about it but obviously what we've been able to do uh, looking at our data is kind of pinpoint the moment at which restrictions came into place public awareness really picked up around um, the pandemic and, and the virus and what that did over time then to people's interests, to so the things that they're typing into Google search. Um, and it's a really interesting tool, Google search, from a kind of insights point of view, because obviously it doesn't necessarily tell us what people are doing behaviorally, but it uh, it's a real um, kind of and it gives us a real insight into intent and so where is interest moving and um, what does that look like year on year and what are some of the kind of catalysts to shifting intent uh, and interest in different categories so if we're looking around diets what does the first lockdown do to interest around different ingredients different diets recipes all sorts of things and different kind of um different topics around health and then how do those sort of increases in interest shift, sustain, drop off over time as the context shifts? So that was, from our perspective, something we've been really interested in tracking, obviously, throughout this period and then feeding into this report to help kind of shed some light on the um, on the results that came through from the survey, um, which I know we'll, we'll touch on as we as we go through. Super. Thank you, Georgie. Marcus, do you have anything you'd like to add there? Yes. So from, from our perspective, it was fascinating to see how dietary trends have changed and how some of the trends we saw be before COVID um, were accelerated significantly um, since the pandemic. You know, we, we, 
we've known that people um, had very specific and complex dietary preferences. But what we're now seeing is that people are specifically eating uh, and making dietary changes in order to um, improve their health uh, and to improve the environment. But when you when you unpack the data, what you know what what we were fascinated to see was that people that the obvious um, objectives and goals people have. You know they want to you know potentially lose weight or feel healthier. But now people are actively looking out healthier options to improve their mental health, and they're also looking at food to um, strengthen their immunity uh, and build up their natural defenses against viruses like COVID. So it was interesting to really you know. Um, take a deep dive into the data to understand some of the drivers behind those uh, dietary changes. Thank you. Yes, it's so, so interesting. Um, another thing that I picked out of the report was that this, there seems to have been a real consumer shift to wanting to buy more locally, which is a wonderful thing. Yet at the same time, people are clearly looking for those convenient options because they're stuck at home, balancing family life, working at home, um, with more people looking to sign up to subscription boxes and things like that. So how do you think that our industry, the consumer goods industry, can keep up with this? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the data is really interesting there, especially when you look at something like subscription boxes. The actual um, kind of overall uh, size of uh, population of individuals who had said they would want to use subscription boxes in the future, I think was at around 4%, but that actually doubled since pre-COVID times. Um, and I do think it's something that will kind of continue to accelerate, um, especially because it just gives consumers convenience. Um, and I think convenience, price, and, and quality, those three things coming together while still enabling a consumer meet, to meet their goal is just really critical. I think for the industry to keep up, one of the big things we're starting to see is just um, a real focus on partnerships, whether that's partnerships uh, with the likes of different marketplaces such as Deliveroo or others, just giving um, supermarkets and retailers um, and grocers really quick access to um, the end consumer and allowing them to kind of navigate through that period. It's an interesting one as well because I don't, I don't necessarily I think that kind of hype, the hyper kind of convenience models we tend to think of and local business is necessarily mutually exclusive. So um, even before the pandemic, we were seeing um, more and more consumers trying to use digital tools. So search and, and using mobile to um, to help them kind of influence the outcome of the experience they were going to get in a convenience store, like a local store, for example. So whether that be wanting to know when it's open, um, so opening times like even, um, you know, we can now see how busy a store might be. So kind of consumers are increasingly becoming familiar with that type of functionality. But we were actually seeing consumers push that a little bit further, kind of beyond what the functionality even allows right now to try and say well if my store down the road um it doesn't the store down the road have this thing i'm going to get in stock or does it have offers on around you know the the, the category i want to buy or does the other one that's kind of equidistant have this so i think actually what we were seeing was 
people trying to connect the con- the kind of convenience that digital enables with local because you know local is convenient too so those two things definitely kind of come together um but you know we're probably not as far along um in this sector as we are in others um so i think that's particularly interesting and so what we obviously saw from the pandemic um for the influence from the pandemic was a massive interest in in local of course because we were all restricted to um our local environments but also a kind of upskilling in terms of what we thought digital was you know going to be able to help us do so those two things do conflate and then i also think there's another kind of question on top of that which is when we say local what do we mean by it um because one thing is the convenience aspect it's the closest thing to me it makes my life easy and the other is a kind of sen- sentiment aspect which is supporting local business and we've definitely seen trends around both of those kind of emerging and accelerating over the course of the last year so it's been really interesting to watch those but they are slightly separate kind of definitions of local if i can just add to that you know it's it's fascinating to see we we now know from the report um how specific people are and how you know how conscious they've become about what they put into their bodies um but the two dimensions i guess people are trying to balance is convenience and availability uh, on top of this we also have education or transparency because even though we know people have very specific goals they struggle you know to to understand and to find the right products for their individual needs you know how do you assess how do you know whether a product is you know eco-friendly you know or, or how, how do you know that it meets your specific requirements and we we as spunguru we see our role as a technology enabler in just making it easier for people to find the right foods or meals for for whatever specific need they have but education transparency is a huge problem because it's just it's so difficult to understand you know the the you know what is the sustainability impact of you know this meal kit you know or the, this recipe box or this you know the, this product i've just purchased and we need to come together as an industry to facilitate that and in, improve that level of transparency to make it easier for people to understand their impact on the environment oh great thank you so that actually links really well to my next question and maybe i can throw this one straight back to you marcus as a, a fellow vegan on the podcast um the reports, I found this really interesting, also showed that consumers are becoming, as you said, more and more concerned with issues like sustainability. Where does their food come from? Is it sustainable, both socially and environmentally, and animal welfare? Um, so what what do you think of this, Marcus? It, it's a fascinating topic. Mm-hmm. Even before COVID, we saw a significant um, increase in people adopting a, you know, a vegan or vegetarian diet around the world. And that, again, that has been accelerated by COVID. I believe one in 10 Brits now follow a vegetarian or plant-based diet. And Wow, that's amazing. And that is incredible. And But more, one in five have actually cut down on, on their meat consumption. So that's an even more significant statistic, I think, because even though people, people are, are, have made some drastic changes in order to protect the environment, I think most people now realize um, the current levels of meat production cannot continue. They're not sustainable. Mm, they're absolutely. Trying they're trying to do their bit, you know, and it's one thing to, to stop eating meat completely, um, but just to reduce your meat intake will already have 
a benefit for the environment. Absolutely, yeah, reduction is really key. It is, yeah, it is, it is vital. And, um, you know, one, one in four Brits are now opting to eat su sustainably and reducing your, your meat intake is, is a significant part in that. And I, I, we think this trend is absolutely going to continue um, and to accelerate um, post-pandemic as well. And do you think that the, the pandemic helped to raise people's awareness on animal welfare specifically? Well, we, we've seen an increase in people opting for the, um, the plant-based or the, the vegan diet. So yes, so presumably, well, I think people have just, it's, it's given us a, the opportunity to take a step back, I think, um, COVID, you know, being stuck, <laughs> being stuck at home. Absolutely, and people yeah. People are reflecting, well, first of all, people, well, people are reflecting on what they can do, you know, um, in, in their day-to-day -day activities. What, what are the small things we can do in order to improve our own health, but also the health of the environment? Because you know, the fact of the matter is, you can't, you can't um, lead a healthy life in a sick world. So the the two go hand in hand. And I think people were um, encouraged um, to to cook more at home, and often they had no other choice so we saw a lot of scratch cooking taking place and people are educating themselves about ingredients and and how to cook and then you know the next step would be okay you, you want to understand the nutritional value of what you put into your bodies and um, you're more aware of the implications you know of what you have on 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 the planet and i think people have just become much more conscious and aware since the pandemic I love that you said there you can't lead a healthy life in a sick world that's very very poignant so Emma Georgie do you have anything to add on the sustainability question um it's an interesting one for us again because the google sort of search data particularly allows us to see interest um like I said around these sorts of topics and then we have to kind of use them as I guess like lead indicators to, to understand okay what does that mean you know what does that mean in terms of behavior? It's not something we'll be able to see exclusively through our data. Um, but absolutely, when it comes to uh, search interest around topics around sustainability, uh, around diets that kind of enable more sustainable approaches like vegetarianism or um, veganism, we've absolutely seen um, peaks and, and acceleration around those topics. Um, but, but I think what's interesting is um you know those were, those sort of areas were already becoming really interesting to a lot of people already i mean this is it's not new and we were just seeing i guess an acceleration around those topics um i think uh, to marcus's point it's the kind of education bit that's really interesting and i think it's the kind of how do you learn about something new and then ingrain a new behavior into your life and I think it's those, those parts that um, we've also seen kind of be enabled by the environment so it's you know it's difficult to break habits it's difficult to introduce new behaviors um, but I think what we've been able to see over the last year is because we've I guess because our lives have kind of uh, out of necessity become quite limited to an extent and um, self-contained we've been able to control more and certainly around diet that's particularly interesting because if you are like Marcus was saying preparing your own food more and more and your routine is quite 
um, stable over such a long period of time, it's easier to kind of trial new things. Whereas I think in a in a busy world where you're moving around all the time and your context might always be shifting, it's much more difficult. Um, so we've definitely seen, yes, interest increase around those topics. Um, but it's been interesting to see like the small changes that people are making to kind of act on interest um, because it's always been that sort of interest and behavior gap that's been quite interesting around those particular themes. Um, and what's also interesting as well is, I mean, we saw this before before the pandemic, but it's it's something that's accelerated, which is, you know, topics around sustainability and not just in food, but around all sorts of packaged goods and, and things like that. Um, these topics were growing and becoming of interest in areas that aren't just the big urban hubs in the UK. So, you know, I think places like you know the big cities like London and Manchester and, and Leeds etc that's where we would see kind of growth start in topics like this um but actually what we were seeing before the pandemic is this isn't any longer these aren't these kind of niche quite urban um sort of areas of interest that we were seeing kind of sustained growth in in all cities around the UK but also in rural areas which was particularly interesting and that's something we've mm. seen continue that's so interesting um yeah, the fact that you said that people have presumably had much more time to actually make changes and act on their interests, because when it comes to dietary change, I mean, people can have the best of intentions, but then when you're rushing around, as we did pre-COVID, it's really hard to actually make those changes. So thank you for that. I was just going to add to that. Yeah. Point. I think that's where convenience becomes such an important factor. Um, in the overall kind of experience that mm-hmm. um, grocers or even CPG brands are offering, how can it be a much simpler journey to achieve their goals, whether they are trying to feed a family of five sustainably or lose weight for their next holiday? Um, everybody's got a different goal. And I think that convenience bit is becoming even more important um, around how do you help consumers achieve kind of whatever they desire to achieve. Super, absolutely. So moving on now to our industry, um, I wanted to see how we could make all this data relevant to um, our members at the Consumer Goods Forum. So you had highlighted in the report that retailers are way down this list when it comes to uh, the sources of information that consumers go to on these topics. And it actually, it says in the report, quite rightly so, that this is really a missed opportunity. So why do you think that consumers are looking elsewhere to other sources? And do you think that there's a generational divide there too? So a couple of questions in one there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that was something that was quite surprising to us, just how low down that list they were. Um, I think, that, I mean, I think there are a couple of reasons. I think if you look pre-pandemic, um, consumers, especially in that 55 plus bracket, were typically going to doctors for advice, which is obviously a much more trusted individual. Um, but you can start to see from a generational divide perspective, um, the kind of 18 to 34 year old bracket going towards social media. Um, Google search was top of the list across all of the three categories of age groups. Um, podcasts were starting to rise. 
whilst when you look at retailers between last year and this year, it hasn't really budged. They're still at that two to 3% of consumers who are actually going to those channels for information. Um, I'd be interested to see, hear what Marcus and Georgie think on this one, but my kind of perspective here is that it's largely due to the fact is it easy for consumers essentially to access this information through those channels if you go through google search you can quite easily get what you need at your fingertips um some of the other things that appeared up at the top were kind of recipe websites again it's just so much easier to access that information and so i think for retailers it's how do you how do they get involved in that conversation earlier on and make it much more easier for consumers to get the information they need rather than having to click about 10 times through different web pages to eventually get to um, the information they need to help achieve their goals? Okay, super. Georgie? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. I think... There's so many layers to this. I mean, as you said, Emma, like when it comes to the goals you might have around your diet, they're so personal and specific. And actually from one meal to the next or from one period of time to the next, your goals might be different. You might be looking to become healthier in, you know, in the run up to summer. But then also when January hits, be thinking about, I don't know, sustainability or something else. So I think, first of all, your goals aren't kind of in isolation or you're not, you know, you might might have multiple. I think the other thing is, is that we're not, no one is, uh, I don't, I don't think you find many people who think they don't have enough information. I think there is so much information and we have so much access to it. And obviously Google plays a big role in that kind of access to information. I think what we want and what a lot of consumers are looking for is, um, like you said, Emma, kind of easier access to information that feels right for me and that feels credible to me. And I think um, this actually kind of chimes really well with a piece of research we launched, Google launched about a year and a half ago called Decoding Decisions. And that was all about looking at how, what are the drivers of behavior online? and in different categories and, and consistently across categories that the thing that we were starting to see was that when you're in an online context especially what constitutes authority on a given category a given topic um, is shifting so while people obviously do care you know what the retailer's got to say or the brand's got to say really people want to know what do people like me think about this um so what do my peers think and obviously depending on who you are your peers look different um but people want tried and tested kind of opinions um and perspectives from people that they think reflect um their own kind of view and experience and i think it's really that's kind of the critical thing which is how do you connect people with that um rather than just inserting yourself in the conversation and telling people about sustainability, how can you um, connect people to the information um, that feels relevant to them in an easy way? Uh, because there is actually so much out there that it's a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, Georgie, if I can just add to that, that's, it's fascinating, isn't it? The, the signal versus the noise. Um, what, what's also fascinating for us to see was that, you know, obviously most people Get, get the groceries from, from retailers. But at the same time, as the report showed, retailers are not considered a good source of information. And that is, that is a huge opportunity in itself. And um, we know the, we, we also know from the report that 
you know, the 18 to 34 year olds were the most likely to change the diet. Um, and they're also the most informed, you know, they use apps, as Emma said, uh, trackers, social. Um, there's an opportunity for retailers to, em to embrace similar tools, you know, to, to upgrade the digital experience, to make it easier for people to understand exactly, you know, what individual products contain and how to get the information they're looking for. You know, because as, as George, you said, the information is out there, but you have to make it easy. You have to package it up in order to provide a more um, personalized experience. But again, convenience comes into it. Um, people are still very time constrained. You have to make it easier for people to cut through the noise. And we think um, for the industry, the food industry, this is actually a huge opportunity because clearly the demand is there. People, yeah. people have very specific requirements. They, 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 they they're looking for the industry to provide them with the information to make more informed decisions so all we need to do is really give them the tools um, to enable them to meet their goals okay so there's a lot of food for thought there for our industry if you could summarize and and give a bit of a call to action to our industry in three points what would those points be so i mean i think there would be kind of three things i think firstly really focusing on a goals-based approach, whether that's um, how you organize your um, online offering so that it's super easy for consumers to curate and purchase products that meet their needs um, or whether they're in the store. And instead of having a specific kind of aisle for free from food, it's actually embedded within the overall experience um, within the store. So as your um, products you can pick things up easily without having to navigate to different areas for different kind of goals I think there's obviously something around um, just making sure that you've got the right data sets to really understand consumers on kind of a micro level so that you can really understand the differences um, in behaviors to all the great stuff Georgie was talking about in terms of um, localization and really understanding kind of the different behaviors but also the impacts for business um, using that data to kind of your advantage and help nudge behavior to help nudge consumers to really kind of change their behaviors I think that is one thing where I think retailers could really kind of have an impact and then thirdly I just think there is um, a lot of stuff outside of just the overall consumer experience that could be considered so everything from partnerships with obviously the likes of um, marketplaces um, as well as food subscription boxes through to kind of wellness devices that can really embed the, the overall kind of ecosystem of wellness together um, through to a whole piece around just reducing kind of review cycles of products and just really getting them out at a much quicker rate um, as well as then also considering um, what you need to do from a supply chain perspective to make all of this possible in a sustainable way. Um, so they'd be kind of the big three points from my side. Okay, super. I think that was more than three. You've given the industry a lot of work to do right. there. <laughs> <laughs> Georgie or Marcus, did you did you have anything to add there? I, well, I mean, I would just second the comment around data and being not well, not only having the right data, kind of to. Um, kind of act upon but also to, to gather insight on so really trying to stay yeah. close to what's evolving um, and 
why and and where because I think also you know some we've seen growth in some trends for a long time but that has kind of preceded behavior by some stretch so I think it's kind of monitoring the environment but also knowing kind of when's the right time to to put resource and investment around which particular trends because there's so much emerging and shifting that not all Mm -hmm. of it responded to all at once so it's where do you where do you place that investment and where do you you know where do you um what do you back I think making those decisions and that's where data can be really really helpful and the other one would just be around you know if big brands are getting you know involved in these quite um topical conversations as well it's kind of um kind of you know getting the credibility to do that in the right way and I think like I was saying before a lot of this is a it's very personal to people and a lot of it is about learning from peers or people uh, that feel credible so I think it's kind of situating yourself within that as opposed to kind of creating a parallel track um kind of narrative elsewhere I think that that kind of authenticity is really important as well super thank you yeah breaking down the silos creating a good partnerships to to deal with this Marcus did you did you have anything to add there I think you know for us as an as an industry there's a huge opportunity uh, to balance societal societal pressures with individual preferences to create healthy sustainable and cost-effective eating habits you know we 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 know consumers need more help than ever um, to navigate healthy food items and to educate themselves about more sustainable food choices and I think that the, the opportunity is to make it easy uh, for consumers to meet their goals. That's that's our job, really, as, and that's the challenge for us to, to, to embrace as an industry. Okay, so bringing the podcast to a close now, I always like to end on a bit, little bit of a personal note. So I would love to hear from the three of you how the pandemic has perhaps changed your own personal habits. Marcus, perhaps you'd like to start. It could be food or otherwise, anything. I've I've learned to cook. You know, I was a terrible. I could never wow. Barely <laughs> boil an egg before, but um, no, that and it's a lot of fun. I had no idea how much fun <laughs> to cook from scratch. So yeah, that was the, the biggest. Thing. I've actually um, been doing keto for the past two months, um, but before that. Um, I had noticed a significant change in my eating habits, just a lot more fresh food, um, pucking significantly more. Um, I was using subscription boxes like HelloFresh and all that good stuff. So definitely seen a change on my side. Yeah, I mean, I've also, I, I actually already really enjoy cooking, but I've just had a lot more time to do it, which has actually been really, really nice. It's made me much more aware of, uh ingredients and what i'm what i'm eating but a new a very new kind of trend or new new behavior is um i've just been really mindful of like what i'm throwing away the amount of waste that i produce because i see it all in a normal world kind of have a lot more you're kind of distant from it um, because it's all happening in your own and so um I've done little things like um you know you usually buy cotton pads like to wash your face or any of that stuff so now I don't buy those kind of throwaway ones I've, I've bought the ones that you have to wash in the washing machine and I've got the same like a mop that you have to take off the thing and wash it and so I'm just trying to buy things that are reusable rather than throw away or one use uh, type stuff 
yeah that that's so true isn't it I've definitely noticed I think because you go into your own kitchen far more during the day too because you're not in the office that you're seeing much more of the kind of plastic waste that's building up in the recycling so I wanted to end here and just thank the three of you so much for taking the time to talk today and share your insights um, and your your thoughts with us and our, our members. Um, it's such an interesting topic and it's actually really heartening to hear that actually some good has perhaps come out of this pandemic. So thank you so much to all three of you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Louise. If you would like to find out more about our work at the Consumer Goods Forum, you can visit our website at www.theconsumergoodsforum.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to the podcast for more episodes coming very soon. Thank you for listening and bye for now. Listening and bye for now.